evening, everybody, and welcome. Happy to see you all here. It's an exciting evening to be in the house of God, and uh, we're happy to have you here with us. We're going to go tonight to a text that we, we've all heard, but we perhaps haven't explored in great detail, and that's Isaiah 9, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7. It's a, it's a prediction of the birth of the Messiah set in context of a prediction of the fall of Judah to the Assyrians, which would happen, uh, which would be followed by the Babylonians and then the, the, the Greeks, the Romans, and that would bring us to the birth of Christ. So Isaiah is talking about real-world events in, in their world, invaders who would conquer and, and that sort of thing. But in the midst of that, he gives us this beautiful, profound prophecy of Christmas, of the Son of God becoming one of us. And so we're going to explore that tonight, and we'll just jump right in. Verse 6 of Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Pause there. Because there's a depth to this that I think even Isaiah didn't understand now that we have a, a full picture, fuller picture of the nature of God, we've got God the Father and God the Son and, and God the Spirit. And God the Son, the eternal Son of God, becomes the Son of Man at Christmas. And so he says, unto us the child is born. The, the baby Jesus comes into being when he's conceived. Before that, he was God the Son eternally, but he wasn't man. So the, the child is born, comes into being, but the Son is given. He existed before, and so he was freely given by God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So we see the, the birth of the baby who is the eternal Son of God. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Well, Paul's here too. If you don't like the government you've got in America, you, you get to vote every few years. And sometimes it, it goes the way you want and sometimes not. And it changes out. And that's, that's the system of government we've got. But the prophecy about Christ is that the government will be upon his shoulder. And the, the witness of the word of God is that the, the heart of the king is in the hand of God. That, that the, the affairs of men all bow to the sovereignty of God. And that the world is not chaos spinning out of God's control, but, but it is the, the plan and the purpose of God in ways we don't understand, what He causes or what He permits. God is sovereign. The government will be upon His shoulder. The affairs of, of individual people and of nations will be upon His shoulders. And the reason it's expressed that way, his shoulder, it means he's, he's going to bear that burden. He's going to carry that. He, he's going to pick it up and, and shift the weight onto him and be the driver behind it. The affairs of your life and my life are on his shoulder. He's, he's carrying. The affairs of, of our town, our state, our nation, all within the sovereignty of the Son of God. And His name will be called. And then there's five names here. And I love this. 
because they speak to his character and they speak to his power, his nature. His name will be called Wonderful. Now, there's a comma there. Wonderful stands on its own. It's not wonderful counts to her, although he is, he is that, but stop it, wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful. And we spoke about it Sunday, the notion of awe, the notion of reverence, the notion that, that we regain the lost ability to stand in the presence of God and just marvel. He is wonderful. And sometimes we get this image in our mind that, that in the old covenant, God's angry. In the new covenant, it's grace, but, but the old, he was angry. No, he was wonderful. And he's always been wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful. And it's appropriate that we, we add sparkle to the season that we use to celebrate his birth because he's wonderful. His name will be called Counselor. The one with all wisdom, the one with all perspective, the one who promised, if any of you lack wisdom, then let him ask of God who gives freely to all men without rebuke. The son is, is, is uh, given, the child born, to bear the weight of all of humanity, and he's your counselor in mind. He says, call upon me for grace, call upon me for wisdom. Put your burden on me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He'll be called Mighty God. He's the God who holds all of history in His hands. He's the God who returns one day on a white horse at the head of the, the armies of heaven. He's a God sovereign over all, Mighty God, mighty to save, mighty to heal, mighty to guide, mighty to lead. And the real irony is that he comes as this helpless baby. He submits. He is the mighty God who submits to helplessness. Because you're helpless and I'm helpless. He, he enters completely into human experience to become one of us. Not like one of us, but one of us. And yet in the midst of that, he's, he's mighty God. Everlasting Father. Now he's the child who's born. He's the son who's given. And he's the father. Because one of the things that's, that's easy to believe but hard to explain is that God the Father is God the Son, is God the Spirit, one God, three persons, yet distinct somehow in, in a way that we don't completely understand. So all that is God the Father is there in that manger, born that night. The child born, the son given, is the father everlasting. That means that the father you pray to, the father you love, the God who is sovereign over all knows exactly what it is to be in your shoes because he's been there. He's entered into human experience. He's suffered. He's hungered. He's grieved. And he's victorious. And then the Prince of Peace. The primary purpose of 
Kings in their day was to wage war against other kings to expand the kingdom. And, and the job of the prince was to learn that so that when he stepped up to becoming the king, he could wage war. That's, that's what they did. It was all about the, the power of the empire. But the Son of God is the Prince of Peace because He is going to usher in a kingdom one day where the lion will lie down with the lamb. And no more tears. No more anger, no more rage, no more hatred, no more bitterness, no more unforgiveness, no more grief, no more strife, no more sorrow. His kingdom is a kingdom of peace. He's the prince of peace. And, and we live in a world just dominated by turmoil and violence. We see it every day in our town, all over the world, and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And it says of the increase of His government and peace. Now he's, he's melding two ideas He's already spoken about. The government is on His shoulder and He's the Prince of Peace. That is, He, he has sovereign authority. He carries the weight for, for the events of, of the world. They're all within His will or, or they are permitted or caused by God, His government, and He's the Prince of Peace. That is, that's the nature of His kingdom, of His government and peace, of His power and His kingdom. There will be no end. It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus was born. That's a long time. Hasn't expired. Hasn't weakened, hasn't dimmed. Hasn't faded. Well, watch this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's not that of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's, it'll never stop increasing. The, the kingdom of God grows and grows and grows, often in ways we don't see. No end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. He's going to be the king promised to David. You'll always have one of your line ruling over Israel. So David was king, and, and it, the kingdom passed to Solomon, son of David. And then it passed to Rehoboam, son of Solomon. The line's moving right along for three kings, and then the, the monarchy falls apart, and Israel splits, and you have Israel, Judah, separate kings, chaos, and the line of David falls apart. Three generations for the earthly kingdom. It didn't work, because that wasn't what God meant. What He meant was that the, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, would rule forever, over Israel. And Israel is not simply the descendants of Abraham, it is the people of God. So we, we go to Romans, and he says, a person's not a Jew who's one outwardly, but one inwardly through the circumcision of the heart. So we are Israel, and our prince reigns forever and ever to order and establish the kingdom. God is working, and we're going to find in a moment, zealously working to order and establish the kingdom. He's working in your life to order and establish His kingdom, to bring peace to the chaos 
to bring forgiveness to the sin, to bring healing to the grief, and establish an order in your life with judgment and justice. That is, he, he's a king who, who, who says what's right and what's wrong and stands on it, holds, holds his people to standards, and in the end brings about justice from that time forward, even forever. It'll never end. And then he wraps it up with this statement, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. Now, the Lord of hosts means the Lord over armies. When Jesus comes back on the white horse with all the hosts of heaven behind him, that's Lord of hosts. It's not the king alone, it's the king and his army behind him. That's the image here. And the word zeal, it's, it's passion. It's rage. It's being animated by something larger than yourself. Is God interested in establishing the kingdom of God in this world, in your heart, in this church? Absolutely He is. It's not a side hustle. It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts. It's, it is where all of His efforts and energies are directed. And the result, it will perform this. He'll make it happen. And the really amazing thing is to realize that God is bringing about the kingdom. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He was doing fine before we came along. He'll do fine after we're in heaven. He'd do fine if we turned around and walked away right now. But he invites us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. And he says, I'd like you in my host. I'd, I'd like you to join with me in the kingdom. What a great honor that is. To be invited by the Prince of Peace to build the, uh, the kingdom that he orders and he establishes. The child born, the son, freely given. The father everlasting. The Prince of Peace. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We get to do that this very weekend. And my prayer for you is that your home is filled with joy. Your home is filled with peace. Saturday night, we're going to meet here. Six o'clock, is that right? At six. And if that's not anything you've ever been involved in, what we do is we, we gather here. And one family at a time, in a, in a very reverent, solemn service, we come up and we take the Lord's Supper. And if you're single, some family will adopt you, don't worry. You won't be up here all alone. And it's, it's a beautiful, meaningful time, and we, we urge you to be here, and then Sunday at 11, we're going to celebrate with song. And it's just, we're, we're going to gather together on the day that commemorates his birth, not the day of his birth, but the day that we set aside to remember his birth, and we're just going to worship him. And my prayer for you is that as you get involved in these things, that the, the peace of God, the joy of God fills your heart, and that you know him in a way you haven't yet. Will you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you for the Prince of Peace. We thank you for the 
of the gift of the son and for the birth of the child. And we thank you that it, it wasn't only an event that happened long ago, but it's, it's ongoing forever and ever. You're born in our hearts when we repent and, and we believe you. And you order and establish your kingdom in our lives as, as we submit to you. So God, thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We pray that as, as we celebrate you this weekend, that it be truly a deeply meaningful experience to bring us closer to you, to whet our appetite for heaven, and ignite a passion to tell others about you. In Jesus' name, amen.